Today on the Matt Walsh Show, the FBI is now arresting Trump supporters for posting memes. Yes, that's happening. Also, five headlines, including the drama on the stock market and Harriet Tubman replacing Andrew Jackson on the 20. And our daily cancellation, we'll discuss the Instagram baby expert who was doxxed, harassed, and boycotted after it was revealed that she had committed the crime of donating to Donald Trump. That and a whole lot more to cover today on the Matt Walsh Show. The FBI apparently having finished its investigation into Bubba Wallace's garage door pull and looking for a new dragon to slay, showed up yesterday at the home of a Trump-supporting former Twitter troll and took him into custody on charges of, as a press release from the DOJ puts it, depriving individuals of their constitutional right to vote. The formal criminal complaint alleges, more specifically, that the accused, Douglas Mackey, a.k.a. Uh, Ricky Vaughn, that's the, the name of his, uh, of his Twitter account, which has been suspended for years now, they say he conspired to, quote, injure, oppress, threaten, and intimidate persons in the free exercise of a right and privilege secured to them by the Constitution. The rest of the complaint makes it clear that all of this supposed injuring, oppressing, threatening, and intimidating was conducted in the form of memes. Mackey faces 10 years in federal prison for memes. Now, admittedly, it's not a great shock, I guess, to find Joe Biden's government arresting and prosecuting people for posting memes. If there's any surprise here, it's perhaps only that it took less than two weeks to get to this point. The New York Times has some more details on the case. They say federal prosecutors accused Douglas Mackey, 31, of coordinating with co-conspirators to spread memes on Twitter, falsely claiming that Hillary Clinton supporters could vote by sending a text message to a specific phone number. As a result of the misinformation campaign, prosecutors said at least 4,900 people, or rather 4,900 unique phone numbers, texted the number in a futile effort to cast votes for Mrs. Clinton. Their effort to misinform uh, voters began after the group saw a similar campaign intended to deceive voters in the 2016 referendum in Britain on whether the, uh, to leave the European Union, also known as Brexit, according to the complaint. Mr. Mackey and his associates created their own version, sharing photos that urged Mrs. Clinton's supporters to vote for her on Election Day using a hashtag on Twitter or on Facebook, uh, to make the images look more legitimate, they affixed the logo of her campaign and linked to her website. Some of their memes appeared to target black and Latino voters. Uh, one image had a black woman standing in front of a sign supporting Mrs. Clinton, telling people to vote for Mrs. Clinton by texting a specific number. Mr. Mackey shared a similar image written in Spanish, according to prosecutors. Okay, now, back when Mackey and his dastardly co-conspirators first hatched this plan to oppress and injure the innocent through memes, BuzzFeed published a report on the plot, which um, included a screenshot of what those 4,900 people who texted the number apparently would have received in response. The Clinton campaign sent a reply text, because this was a text going to the Clinton campaign. The Clinton campaign sent a, a reply text informing them that the ad was not legitimate. So, so there is then no reason to think that all of those 4,900 people or any of them, actually did stay home on election day under the assumption that they'd already voted through text. Because according to BuzzFeed's own report, they were given a message back saying, that was not legitimate what you saw in, in the meme. Words to that effect. It would seem difficult for the federal government to prove that anyone was deprived their right to vote when, for all they know, for all we know, the alleged victims did, in fact, vote. But that, of course, is all beside the point. The real question is whether it's actually possible for a person to be deprived of their rights or to be injured, much less oppressed, 
through a meme? And the answer to that would be seem to be no. At least if there is a meme capable of persecuting all who look upon it, like some sort of horror movie, you, you just look at the image and you're oppressed. Um, the ones that Mackie posted surely do not fit that bill. I don't know what that meme would look like. I don't know what a persecuting, oppressive meme would look like. I just know that it doesn't look like this. A constitutional right is infringed, impeded, or removed when a person is, through force or threat, prevented from exercising it. Nobody was prevented from doing anything in this case. If there are any rights being infringed upon, it's the First Amendment right of Douglas Mackey. And if any individual was so unfathomably stupid as to read a joke meme on Twitter and take its voting guidance seriously without even doing five seconds of additional research, because that's all you would need to do. If you're dumb, you need to be two levels of stupid here. Stupid enough to see that and not immediately recognize it as a joke. And then also so stupid that you don't take five seconds to just Google, can I vote through text message? It's all it would have taken. And if you couldn't put in that effort and you were that stupid, then the fault lies with you. You know, Now, you can't always victim blame in cases of fraud. Um, but when the supposed quote-unquote fraud is a silly picture on Twitter telling you to vote in a presidential election with a hashtag or a text message, um, yeah, the victim does indeed deserve the blame. I am 100% victim blaming. I blame the victims. Totally. And I also have zero sympathy for them. If anything, the alleged oppressor has done us a favor by weeding out the sort of terminal morons who shouldn't be voting in the first place. I realize that's not a valid legal defense, however, but um, just on a personal note, I'm quite glad. Anyone who's stupid enough to fall for something like that, I am happy if they don't vote. Thank God they don't vote. Now, consider the precedent that's quite intentionally being set here. You know, a, a very common joke on social media around the time of any election is for supporters of one candidate to announce that the supporters of any, any other are allowed to vote a day late. Or, uh, you know, something like that. Those jokes are very common. You see them around election day all the time. So is anyone who made a joke like that now guilty of a federal crime? If you've made a joke like that on the Internet at any point in your life, are you now liable to go to jail for 10 years? I mean, does 10 years in prison sound like a reasonable sentence? Even if you agree that it's a crime, 10 years, which I don't, 10 years in prison for that? And if it's now a felony to post a meme with disinformation that may influence voting behavior, how far does that go? I mean, there are many false or dubious political claims made in the form of memes. Almost all memes have false or dubious information. Almost everything on the internet does. Are we going to prosecute everyone who posts or retweets one? I mean, isn't that the implication here? If you even retweet a meme that has false information that may arguably influence the voting behavior of some people, it's a crime. Go to jail. But if that's what we're doing, why are we not breaking down the doors of people who posted claims about Donald Trump being a Nazi? Why are we frog marching them off to jail? That's disinformation. And if believed, it could very well influence how somebody votes. Of course, um, my question is rhetorical. Disinformation used against Republicans never has been and never will be prosecuted. Mackey's crime is not that he, that he posted information, a disinformation, or that he infringed on anybody's right, but that he did what he did in support of Donald Trump. 
That's the crime. The only way around this conclusion is to, is, is the only way you can get around this and prove me wrong is if you can point to leftist meme posters who have also been arrested or else to claim that leftists never post dishonest memes. And so that's why they don't get arrested for them. But there are no examples of the former and anyone who claims the latter is guilty of disinformation themselves. In fact, just to prove my point here, here is one example that this just came to my attention right before we went on the air. Um, Christina Wong, she's an alleged comedian. I think there's some disinformation in that claim alone. But let me show you a video that she posted on Twitter. This is on November 8th, 2016. Here's what she posted. Watch. Hey, everybody. This is Christina Wong. And uh, I'm coming out. I'm a Trump supporter. And I just want to remind all my fellow Chinese Americans for Trump, people of color for Trump, to vote. Vote for Trump on Wednesday, November 9th. Really important day. We're going to show this country who's boss. And that's our man, Donald Trump. So don't forget to vote Donald Trump on November 9th. Huh. Huh. See, as far as I'm aware, Miss Wong has not been raided by the FBI. There are no 30-page criminal complaints being filed against this woman. And that's all you need to know. I mean, that, that, that if, if there was any doubt in your mind whatsoever about whether or not this new policy, this new law is being, uh, is being enforced equally, well, there you go. And we could sit here all day, post it, give you similar examples, similar jokes like that. All kinds of disinformation related to Donald Trump. Much of it not even coming in the form of memes, memes but coming from the media. Coming in the form of headlines, news articles, stories. We're not prosecuting any of that. And that's because there is, there has been for a long time and will especially be now a two-tier justice system. There's the justice system for the cultural heretics. And if you're on the right, then that's where you belong. You're a cultural heretic. And there's justice system for people like uh, Miss Wong there. Someone who has the correct, who believes in the correct orthodoxy, who has the correct views. There's a lot of things she can do that you cannot anymore because you'll go to prison. And saying that there's a two-tier justice system where we have two-tier justice, that's just another way of saying we don't have justice in the con- this country. There is no justice. There is no law. There is but the whims of the elite. And that's the way it's going to go now. Anyone who's not, who has not woken up to that reality, time to wake up. Now let's get to our five headlines. Now you've uh, no doubt heard what's happening with Wall Street, the stock market, GameStop. If you haven't heard, well, unfortunately I'm too dumb to explain, so you're kind of out of luck. But let me, uh, I'll read, this is, this is one of the latest, this is from Reuters. Um, the latest on all of this says an almost 60% surge in shares of American Airlines uh, led, stellar, led stellar gains for a series of social media hype stocks on Thursday, broadening a battle between small-time traders and major Wall Street institutions that has shaken U.S. and European stock markets. GameStop, the video game chain whose uh, 1,700% rally has been at the heart of the slugfest the past week, retreated after initially adding another 30% in early trading on Reddit. Now, you can tell when I'm reading this, I have very little idea what I'm even reading. I think that comes through, doesn't it? 
On Reddit, on uh, Reddit thread, Wall Street bets where calls to buy stocks have helped drive the extraordinary moves. Some of its more than 4 million members reported trading platform Robinhood was now preventing investors from buying new shares in GameStop and, um, and other companies. Robinhood, one of the biggest of the easy access apps that has spurred the development of a huge online community of amateur traders, did not immediately respond to requests for comment. So now they're preventing it. Uh, now, if I could just break this down, everything that's happening on the stock market, if you don't understand, and I could really break it down for you, um, just, uh, just to simplify, let me explain. So basically what's happening is, um, just to make it really simple, if I were to really break this down, and really simplify everything. And if I'm going to actually explain it, you know, there's a number of things that I would say to explain it. Because I totally understand. I do. But in fact, it's too complicated. I can't explain it. I'm not going to bother. Let's go to the White House press conference, though. Um, the question was asked about all of this. And even though I admit I don't understand much about the stock market or anything at all, really, I can listen to this answer. And I can tell that this is completely bogus and ridiculous. Let's listen. Is the White House concerned about the stock market activity we're seeing around GameStop um, and now with some other stocks as well, uh, including the, the subsidiary or whatever, the, the company that was uh, Blockbuster? Um, and have there been any conversations with the SEC about uh, how to proceed? Well, um, I'm also happy to repeat that we have the first female Treasury Secretary and a team that's surrounding her and often questions about market we'll send to them. But our team is, of course, our economic team, including Secretary Yellen and others, are monitoring uh, the situation. It's a good reminder, though, that the stock market isn't the only measure of the health of our, econo our economy. It doesn't reflect how working and middle class families are doing. Uh, as you all know from covering this, we're in the midst of a K-shaped recovery. America's workers are struggling to make ends meet, which is why the president has introduced this urgent package to get immediate relief. Yeah, like I said, um, not, not a financial expert myself, but I'm pretty sure that the gender of the Treasury Secretary has nothing to do with anything whatsoever. I, I, so I, I, can, I can point out that BS at least. This kind of goes back to what we were talking about before. You think about how stupid you have to be to, to fall for the, the memes. Right. Even if you even if you don't know anything about voting at all. Right. Um, you should still be able to pick up on obvious BS. Even if you know nothing about the subject, if you have even just a, 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 a moderately well tuned BS detector, uh, you should be able to pick up on a joke meme. And so in this case, don't know anything about the stock market. I've got at least a moderately tuned uh, BS detector so I can listen to that answer and know, OK, that's 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 ridiculous. Of course, it has nothing to do with anything. What I will say, if I were to give any analysis whatsoever of what's happening on the stock market, I don't know much. I do think it's funny. As far as I can tell, it seems pretty funny. And that's all I've got. That's all I can tell you. Let's move on to something I know a little bit more about. Staying with the White House press briefing for a moment. Uh, this is from a couple of days ago. I've, I've been wanting to bring this up. The question being asked here is about the plan to put Harriet Tubman um, on the $20 bill, which means taking Andrew Jackson off, putting her on. Let's listen to that. The Obama administration initially had wanted to put Harriet Tubman on the $20 mm -hmm. bill. Um, the uh, Trump administration dragged their feet on that. I wanted to see if the Biden administration has a sort of view of the timeline on whether or not she should be um, on the paper currency. 
I was here when we when we announced that, and it was very exciting. It hasn't moved forward yet, which we would have been surprised to learn at the time. The Treasury Department is taking steps to resume efforts to put Harriet Tubman on the front of the new $20 notes. Uh, it's important uh, that our notes, our, our, our money, uh, people don't know what a note is, uh, reflect the history and diversity of our country. And Harriet Tubman's image gracing the new $20 note would certainly reflect that. So we're exploring ways to speed up that effort, but any specifics would, of course, come from the Department of Treasury. So this is the kind of thing that we're all supposed to simply support without any protest. And of course, if you don't support it, then you're racist. And um, I have been Disappointed, though not surprised, to find so many conservatives, of course, going along with this and, and say, oh, I don't, I would never object. I would, maybe some would object to this, but I certainly would not. Put Harriet Tubman on the toilet. Put her on all the money. Oh, of course, go ahead. Uh, we, we should honor Harriet Tubman, they say. Well, I agree. I'm all for honoring Harriet, Harriet Tubman. There are many ways to do that. There are many ways that we have honored her. Um, there are many additional ways that we could. The point here, the, the, the question, the issue at hand is not whether to honor Harriet Tubman. On that point, I think there's probably almost universal agreement. The question is actually whether to dishonor, to take the honor away from Andrew Jackson. Because that's actually the point. That's why the left wants to do this. It's not about Harriet Tubman. It's about Andrew Jackson. And what is it about him? Well, it's about, it's about the fact that he was an, an, an old white guy that lived a long time ago. And we have learned that if you belong to that category, or if you belong to that category, then um, you have to be erased from the history books and you're not allowed to be honored in any way, way whatsoever. It's, it's, not, it's not like Andrew Jackson is the only one they're targeting. In fact, and we'll maybe talk more about this tomorrow, but San Francisco School Board, the latest one, uh, it's decided to rename, I think it's something like 40 different schools, including Lincoln High School, Washington. They got a school named after Washington, taking those down too. So eventually, you know, eventually we're going to be taking, all the other money is going to be changed too, taking their faces off the money as well. But that's what this is about. So when I say I'm not in favor of putting Harriet Tubman on the 20, what I really mean is I'm not in favor of taking Andrew Jackson off. Because I believe he was a great and consequential American. Doesn't mean I think he was a saint in all respects. Doesn't mean that I think he was perfect. Yeah. Most great people are not. In fact, no great people are, are or were. Except for Jesus Christ. Anyone outside of that, not perfect. And in fact, the, the thing we know about great and consequential people is that they often have great and consequential flaws as well. That's when, when you are operating on a certain level, you know, your, your virtues are going to be magnified, but your vices are also going to be magnified. That's the way it goes. That's why I always talk about if we're going to hold, if this is the standard we're applying to one person who lived back in history, to one historical figure, then really you have to apply it to everyone, which means eventually there's going to be nobody left of any race, nation, creed, or gender that we can honor. If they lived, you know, if they lived like 10 years ago or earlier, there's no one left who isn't problematic. So no, we, this, this is something we should be against and we should, we should protest. We should, we should be against, we should oppose this. Taking Andrew Jackson off. You want to come up with a, with a, uh, you know, a new, a new currency, 
for Harriet Tubman or really anything else. Build her. She's already got statues and monuments. Build another one. Build 50 of them for all I care. Andrew Jackson should stay on the $20 bill, to my mind. All right, ABC7 New York has this story. It says Target is the latest company to drop um, Chalco, I think it's Chalco, coconut milk over allegations of forced monkey labor. PETA said the retailer would no longer sell the product because of its alleged ties to monkey labor. Chalco's Thai suppliers accused of forcing monkeys to pick coconuts from the trees. In a statement to USA Today, Target said it takes those claims seriously and removed the product in November. Um, PETA said in a statement, by dropping Chowco, Target is joining thousands of stores that refuse to profit from chained monkeys' misery. According to PETA, 26,000 stores, including chains, Wegmans, Food Lion, and Stop and Shop, have cut ties with the coconut milk brand. Um, a couple of things here. First of all, as I've made clear, coconut milk is not actually a thing. It doesn't, doesn't exist. You don't, you don't get, milk is a dairy product. You don't get that from, uh, from coconuts. Second thing is forced monkey labor. I, I, I never realized that was a thing until I read this story. And also speaking of dairy products. Okay. So you hear, I, I, I don't know what exactly could be entailed in forced monkey labor. How do you force monkeys to climb a tree and pick coconuts? Um, I, you know, I guess you could domesticate domesticate monkeys like you do any other animal, but that's the point. So forced monkey labor is, if that's what's happening here, forced monkey labor is some sort of horrible crime. So you're not going to have coconut milk, but you'll still serve regular milk, which comes from cows. What about forced cow labor? Cows, Cows don't make the free choice to be on dairy farms, do they? What about the forced labors of labor of horses and, and pigs and dogs? All that forced labor. It's all slavery, isn't it? We just we have this hierarchy in our heads of animals. It's like there's certain animals you can eat, certain that you can't, certain you can domesticate, certain you can't. A lot of it has to do with how cute we think they are or how much we have anthropomorphized them in our own minds. Um, how often they appear in Disney films, like th- these, all these things factor in, and this is what determines in our heads what we can do with these different animals. It's not really based in anything though. So yes, I think I am coming out in favor of forced monkey labor. I think I'm, I think I'm okay with it. Honestly, I don't know a lot about the practice. I'm not in favor of, you know, the abusing monkeys. I wouldn't be in favor of abusing cows. And really when you think about it, yeah, if, if, if you're, you know, a, a poor villager and, and you harvest coconuts for a living. Well, you got to get up. You might not have uh, equipment to get up in those uh, trees and you got to get up pretty high in the trees, um, which is a, a dangerous job. And so someone's got to climb up in the trees to get the coconuts. I think I'd rather a monkey be forced to do it rather than a person because a person could climb up there and fall and die. I'm sure, that happens all the time. So, yeah. You, you can put me in the put me in the column of pro forced monkey labor. Um, all right, this is from Eater.com. It says, in line with one of President Joe Biden's chief campaign promises, congressional Democrats yesterday introduced historic legislation, this is from a couple days ago, that would more than double the hourly minimum wage of the country's most poorly paid workers to $15 an hour. Uh, the measure would also eventually eliminate the lower tipped minimum wage that most waiters, bartenders, and bussers earn in New York and other states. 
Despite Republican opposition, a process known as budget reconciliation appears to give the so-called Raise the Wage Act a chance of being signed into law. So $15 an hour, this is just a, of course, we've, we, we, we've known about this effort for a long time. Will the Democrats actually manage to pass it through? Um, I would say yes, probably. And the effects will be absolutely disastrous. You, you look at what the, what the Democrats are doing here. Um, already, they've, they have, it was largely we're talking about Democrat governors and mayors who have had the strictest lockdowns in effect, still in effect in many places, uh, for almost a year now. And so they've wiped out millions of jobs. And now we're just sort of trying to claw back, get the economy back. People are trying to get back to work. The vaccine's being rolled out. We're going to get into spring and the warmer months. And now they're coming back and they're kneecapping all the economy again. We're shutting down the Keystone pipeline. And now we're going to $15 minimum wage. Wipe out thousands of jobs all at once. That's why I, I, I really wish you talk about the effects of disinformation. I don't really care about memes, but the kind of disinformation that I worry about is, for example, the disinformation that makes someone who's, let's say, a minimum wage worker and they read about raising the minimum wage it, it, be, because they have been influenced by disinformation from the media. They celebrate it. They say, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to make $15 an hour. No, what they don't understand is that this probably means that you're not going to have a job. You're going to go from whatever you're making now, $10 an hour uh, to zero. That's what's going to happen. Whether you work for a big company or small company, spe- small company, small businesses, especially that have been uh, that have been in particularly devastated by the lockdowns, they're not going to have the money to, to automatically overnight raise all these wages. So they're going to have to cut down their labor force. If you work at a place like McDonald's, already you go into a McDonald's and um, the common experience now is that there are a couple of people behind the cash registers and then they've also got the, the touch screens. And so what's McDonald's going to do? They're going to say, okay, well, we'll just, we'll, we'll go to all touch screen. What, we don't even need the people at the, you know, you can insert the money or your credit card into the, into the, uh, the console there. What do we need? We don't we even need anybody there. All we need are people, some people in the back to, uh, cook the food and maybe we need some people working the drive through, but we don't need anybody. So these jobs are just going to get eliminated. The other thing to keep in mind with, um, with the minimum wage, and this is always lost in, in the, the, the conversation, but first of all, a very small number of hourly workers in America are actually getting paid the federal minimum wage. O- almost all people who are hourly workers in America are getting paid more than minimum wage already. The, I don't have the numbers in front of me. The, the percentage is, is small. It's like 2 or 3% of hourly workers that are getting paid the minimum wage. Many of those workers are young. Many of them are teenagers. Uh, many of them at least are under 25. It's not, the way this, this, the, the minimum wage is, is, is talked about, this issue is discussed. They make it sound like there are millions of, of, of families, you know, mothers and fathers who've got kids to feed, families of five that are trying to subsist on the minimum wage, which is why we're told it has to be a living wage. We have to give them a living wage. That's not the case. In, in, in many, many cases, this again is a small minority of hourly workers. And in many, many cases, these are people, you know, these, these could be kids, college students, don't even pay their own bills. They have no dependents. Um, they're not even independent themselves. They don't need a living wage. The companies can't afford them to pay a living wage. 
the labor they're providing is not really worth $15 an hour. But now you're going to say, oh yeah, you got to pay $15 an hour to the sick, to the 17 year old kid who lives at home and is working part-time at McDonald's. We got to pay him $15 an hour. And the price is we're going to wipe out thousands of jobs. Great idea. All right. Uh, number five, the Chicago's teachers union, which is refusing to go back to work has been, um, using its free time, free time, free time, but paid time. Taxpayers are paying for it to do other things. And in this case, interpretive dance routines. So they tweeted this out. They said six of our rank and file dance teachers come together to use their art form as a voice to express their desire to feel safe amidst uh, CPS's teacher return policy. They stand in solidarity with all educators at risk because no one should have to choose between life and livelihood. I think we have that video Let's let's play a little bit of this interpretive dance routine. I will survive. So these are these are dance teachers. Now you know what this is? This is like some sort of hideous superorganism where you've got a combination of the dance. We, we, what we have now is a combination of the dancing nurses on TikTok and the whiny teachers, and they've come together. To form this super organism. Safety. And now we have whiny dancing teachers. And I also have to say, these are, these are, this tells you something about the public school system, I guess. Um, These are dance, first of all, why do we have dance teachers in the public school system to begin with? And second question, if we do have dance teachers, who's that, what the person in the middle, what are they doing? It's not a dance at all. I could do that. If we do have dance teachers in the uh, public school system, why is it that they can't dance? Seems to me interpretive dance is is uh, kind of like slam poetry, in that you know slam poetry isn't poetry at all. Interpretive dance is not dance at all. Interpretive dance is just a mildly artistic seizure, from what I can tell. People flailing their arms around. Anyway, so the teachers did an interpretive dance to express their fear of going back to school. That's. Uh, that's what that's all about. And uh, I will conclude by, for the millionth time, saying, get your kids out of the public school system, folks. You know, there's no reason to waste your time. Uh, who, nobody wants to waste their time. There's no reason to do it. And when you waste time and money, time is money. So you waste time, you're already spent, you're already wasting money. And what if you're wasting more money on top of that? It's just a mess. What I'm trying to say is, use Rock Auto. RockAuto.com is the way to go. Uh, it's the way to save time and save money. It's just a win-win situation. RockAuto.com, if you're looking for auto parts, much easier, much quicker, much cheaper than walking into an auto parts store. At rockauto.com, they always offer the lowest prices possible. They're not going to change the prices just because they think they can make more money off you. It's not nothing like that. What you know, you have the peace of mind when you go to rockauto.com. You know that you're getting the cheapest possible price for this particular part that you're going to find anywhere. And there's no reason to look anywhere else. This is the best you're going to get. Uh, and often, you know, it's, it's really quite, quite affordable. RockAuto.com is a family business. They've been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. Best of all, again, RockAuto.com. The prices there are reliably low, and they're the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. And on top of all that, great selection. Everything you could possibly need, need and very easy to find over at RockAuto.com. So go to RockAuto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck, and remember to write Walsh in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know where you came from. All right, and also, Daily Wire, of course, is in this effort of fighting to take back the culture, and a big part of that is 
about entertainment. You know, it's about creating culture rather than simply commenting on it. We want to do both over here. And that's where uh, Run, Hide, Fight comes from. Run, Hide, Fight is our movie. You've heard a lot about it. You've heard us talking about it. And um, don't, don't trust us, though. Don't listen to what we have to say. You can go to Rotten Tomatoes. You can see it's got a 93% rating with over 2,000 reviews. The audience loves it. Mainstream critics, maybe they don't like it quite as much. I think they're, they're scandalized by it. They think it's distasteful. They don't like that we're attached to it, but the audience likes it. So if you want to watch our latest film, our first film, with many more to come, Use promo code RHF to get 25% off. That's RHF for 25% off. Again, RHF, 25% off, and become a Daily Wire member today. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. So today we have another reverse cancellation. The cancelers will become the canceled. And as we get into the story, if there's any sincere person left in America who still thinks that cancel culture is a myth, doesn't exist, they may want to pay attention and seriously consider the case of Kara Dumaplin. She's a popular baby sleep training expert who, you know, I hadn't heard of before this, but uh, apparently very popular. And she has been ruthlessly attacked, boycotted, doxxed, and smeared over the past week after someone, we'll have more on that someone in a moment, went through FEC records and discovered that she donated to Donald Trump. They went through the records and found this out. Now, many media outlets have reported on the story, eager to amplify the news of a non-political person's private campaign contributions. And most of the coverage has been along the lines of this headline from The Cut, which is a New York Magazine publication. They say, quote, a boycott is brewing against formerly beloved child care consultant Kara Dumaplin, who has reportedly been funneling some of the profits from her pricey classes into the Trump campaign's coffers. Now, this is disgraceful, of course, and also not true. Not only are they straining to make donations sound sinister by using a phrase like funneling the profits, but they assume that the money that was being given to the Trump campaign came from her child care consultant business. But we have no way of knowing that. We don't know where the money came from. She has a, a husband, apparently, who works. He's a doctor. Going to come from him. And it doesn't matter anyway. Kara Dumaplin offers advice on how to care for infants. Very good advice, I have been told. And she, she, she never chose to publicize her personal views. The small amount of money she donated to a political campaign, about $1,000 uh, over the course of three years, which is what she said in a statement to the Today Show, that's of no one's concern but her own. This is not a case of a public person choosing to air their political views and then experiencing the divided response that any sane person must expect at this point. This is rather a woman in a completely apolitical line of work whose financial records, along with her address, have been dug up and published in order to personally destroy her in an act of collective ideological vengeance. It's cancel culture. That's what cancel culture is. Hit pieces in the media claim that moms across America have somehow been betrayed. They feel betrayed because a woman who gave them advice on how to help their infant sleep happens to hold political views that don't align with their own. Sophia Tesfe uh, in Salon, she wrote an article openly admitting that this is another case of cancel culture, but she says that it's good. It's a good thing because it holds Dumaplin accountable for the sin of possessing a mind and forming opinions of her own. By the way, if, if you're wondering, if you're not familiar with this woman and you're wondering what sort of content this right-wing extremist was putting out there, um, here, just as a quick example, to give you a frame of reference. Uh, this 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 dangerous uh, person who has to be held accountable, this right wing extremist. 
Here she is, and this is a, sort of the typical content that she would put out. Here she is explaining how to properly burp a newborn. This, this is the woman that is right now the target of, of public rage. Let's, let's listen. Lots of times I see parents, when they try to burp, they put her right here like this, and they do this. And they're trying to burp, but she's just not burping. So here's what I want to show you. Take her and put her little chest up and over your shoulder like this, and then cup your hand. Make a C like this. You want to hear it. Hear that? That doesn't hurt her. But hear how you can hear that noise? That's what's going to get your burp out. Sometimes parents do this, and it just doesn't get a burp out. You want to cup it so it doesn't hurt her back, and just go like this. So that's one method, is up over the shoulder. Again, get her chest up and over your shoulder like that. Wow. What an extremist. Good advice on the burping, though, by the way. My my favorite method, though, is you sit the baby up. I think she gets into this. You sit the baby up and hold them sort of by the chin and then pat them on the back. I think it gets the burp out a little bit better. But anyway, that's what, uh, that's the kind of, that's it. That's, That's what she does. She just tells you how to care for babies. Um, I, I am not aware of any video that she's ever put out um, advocating for a candidate or anything like that. Now, the guy who seems to have gotten the cancel ball rolling in this case, uh, his name is Jamie Grayson, and he's a fellow parenting influencer on Instagram. And he quite clearly saw this as an opportunity to kneecap his Instagram competition. He, he's the one who first published, or he's one of the original ones who first published Duma Plin's FEC records, which include her address again along with a lengthy screed promising that he's a, quote, very liberal homosexual male. He doesn't hold any of her heretical views. Not me. I'm not, I'm not like her. And other vultures from the mommy and daddy blogger sphere swooped in to get a piece of the carcass. And that's, that's how this all started. This is one of the, the primary hallmarks of cancel culture. And it's how you differ, differentiate it from your average boycott or a, a genuine case of holding somebody accountable. The people who are looking to obscure this issue that's what they'll always try to equate these things with. And they'll say, well, you know, it's just a regular boycott. It's holding someone accountable. Now, this is how you tell the difference. Because in cancel culture, it's always vindictive and contemptuous. And often the bus is being driven by someone who stands to personally gain from the destruction of the person who's being thrown under it. Now, that's not to say that the average member of the outrage mob, you know, the moms claiming to be betrayed and vowing never to use this child care program again, have self-serving motivations. I don't think they do. They're more like maniacs driven to the edge of insanity by hatred for their fellow Americans and by their fear of people who think differently from themselves. Just consider for a moment what they're actually doing here. I'm talking about the average person. And I was going through some of the comments uh, and it was a dark and twisted journey reading some of the comments of, of, of former fans of this woman who now say, oh, I'm done. I can't. I'm not going to use the program anymore. Um, assuming they follow through on their boycott threats, think about what they're doing. Because Dumaplin, by all accounts, is a miracle worker in the field of baby sleep training. That's her expertise. Um, over the last day, I've spoken to a number of people who, who swear by her methods, say it's a lifesaver. And then anyone who's had an infant who struggles to sleep knows that it, it can just about wreck your life, at least for as long as the nighttime struggle sessions continue. I, we, we have been through this with a few of our kids. It, it, is, it is very, very difficult because it turns out that sleep is a rather crucial human need. When you're being deprived of it, you become desperate pretty quickly. There's a reason that sleep deprivation is considered a form of torture, according to the Geneva Convention. Whether infants are therefore guilty of human rights abuses is a legal question for another time. But uh, what all this means is that These betrayed mothers, 
will choose now to suffer with a sleepless baby rather than use the methods and the advice of a woman who donated to Donald Trump. They're choosing ideology over their own health and sanity. And they don't have much of the latter to spare to begin with. It makes you wonder whether these people would intentionally die of thirst if a Trump supporter recommended they drink water. As this episode shows, cancel culture itself is not the underlying problem. It's real, but it's not the problem. It's not the problem. It is a symptom. The disease is a worldview that cannot tolerate any form of dissent from anyone. It sees all things in a political light. It sees all people as political entities. It sees anyone outside of its tribe as as an enemy worthy of condemnation and worse. It clamors for diversity, but seeks a world of sameness. It demands tolerance, but never returns the favor. Cancel culture emerges inevitably from this hateful ideology, otherwise known as leftism. And as we have seen, no one, not even this woman, is exempt from its wrath. And that's why the cancelers are canceled. And by the way, quick pitch for her, unpaid, uh, if you're looking for advice on how to get a baby to sleep, maybe this is a woman you should support. And we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching, everybody. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodosky. The show is edited by Danny D'Amico. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is done by Nika Geneva. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Internet trolls bankrupt hedge funds for the lols. John Kerry tells fossil fuel workers to learn solar. And most Republicans support Trump in 2024. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.